Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Season 2 of the Logical Christian Podcast. I'm your Logical Christian, Dan Irwin. Welcome to those who are here for the first time, and a hearty welcome back to the LCP faithful. What we do here is look at what the mainstream media feels is important to tell us about current events, politics, science, religion, and just about anything else, but we're not interested in their spin. We want to look at these stories logically, and we especially want to look at these stories as Christians. Links can be found in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. So with that, let's go be logical Christians. Ecclesiastes 1, 9-11 says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new, that has been already in the ages before us? There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. If this doesn't explain our world, our political systems today, I don't know what would. The battles of yesteryear are embraced today. The enemies of the past are the role models of the present. Sometimes I just think silly thoughts like, I sure wish we could be smart enough to learn from history, maybe. Eh, But I'm just being a silly billy. On today's episode, first we're going to be doomed. And then we're going to try to root out the problem and get blasted for it. So start checking the digital couch cushions of your digital couch and your digital home in the metaverse for digital money. You're going to need it. And then suspect everyone. Absolutely everyone. Because once again, as we've done before, another time, time and time again, again, here we go. So the reason I started this little podcast was to become instantly wealthy. But that hasn't worked out so good. The other reason I started this was to inject logic into the everyday droning of the nearly infinite media sources that are pounded into our heads, ears, eyes, and various other orify on a daily basis. As I find articles that are presented as nothing but the approved agenda, the accepted narrative, the party line from both or all parties, they're all guilty, I want for us, as many or few as there are, to stop and ask why or is that correct or whatever. As long as your statement ends in a question mark, that's a good thing. Well, wait a minute, not always. I mean the Valley Girl style of questioning everything, always tailing up, like everything is a question. Two plus two equals four. Don't do that. Those are... Those are bad question marks, but but if you're asking questions about what you're hearing, that's what I want for us all to do. Just never stop questioning what you're being told, especially the more sources that tell you the same thing, the more you should question. Now, I know I've mentioned it before, but I'm a loyal Glenn Beck follower. I've been listening to his podcast or watching him since he was back on Fox, which goes back to, I think, the start of the Obama era. He has always said this question everything. He's also said many times that if all the authorities are telling you to go there, go now, go, 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 that unless you know where you're going and why you're going, um, you need to stop and question. Now, purposefully, I've tried to stay away from the big things. COVID, for the most part, this Russia-Ukraine debacle, the January 6th, literally mostly peaceful ambling and milling, and the like, because even in my long-form style of presenting, I couldn't do these topics justice, and generally, I'm just going to repackage what you've already been told, what you can find from a variety of other trustworthy sources. I'm not a news reporter, so I generally try to stay away from the current event stories. Now, in this segment, I'm going to slightly break that rule as I'm going to hit some of the current event type topics. But please keep it in mind that although this is a longer segment, I can't do any of the big topics the justice they deserve. Search out solid sources to learn more on this. People I'd recommend would be like Glenn Beck, Steve Deese, uh, Daniel Horowitz, Ben Shapiro, Bill O'Reilly, Tucker Carlson, VCY America has some very good people on there and a number of other solid sources trying to get the truth out there. Look for them. But as I started writing this segment, I had just gotten done with about 30 minutes of stringing extension cords, hooking up the computer, the TV, the receiver, the heater, a light, plus upstairs getting a light and a fridge plugged up and the generator running. The strong winds blew through, and except for a few flickers, I made it all day, and then it finally went out in the early evening. Now, as I sit typing right now, the power had come back on. So uh, so I have all the creature comforts again, like using the bathroom with a ceiling light rather than the shop light. I'm just thankful that I have this generator and the gas and the cords. You know, I bought it like 12 years ago. It's been used a handful of times, mostly for a matter of hours rather than days. It's been a blessing to have. 
and you can hear a few generators running rumbling nearby. So as I'm running my extension cords, I'm thinking about how this could be the norm. As the electric grid systemically fails because we're being forced into electric everything, while our government is literally paying power plant owners to obsolete their plants early and demo them so they can't be restarted, while the fossil fuel industry is being demonized while we're not trying for energy independence at all, while we hear a good game about sustainable energy, you know, windmills and solar panels and unicorn farts and the like, but we all know that uh, those things can't make up enough power for what we're being told we're supposed to use, and the grid itself isn't able to handle the demand that they want us to place on it in the first place. And there's not one thing being done to upgrade and improve any of this. So as I was thinking, I was wondering how often I'll have to do this in the future, just because the grid sucks, and I wonder if the hum of generators will become the norm rather than the exception at most houses, rather than maybe just a few random houses. And then I remember, <laughs> this thing takes gas, or, you know, propane, natural gas, something like that. And fossil fuels, yeah, that's what they want rid of. And this thing is a pretty simple motor, not a highly efficient cleansed emissions engine like a car that they already hate anyway. Yeah, there's no way they'd let me keep this thing. And there won't be gas to run it anyway, at least not affordably. So, you know, no big loss. And as my mind wibbles and wobbles around itself, I remembered an article that I had taken a screenshot of to possibly use for a segment and thought this might be the right time. And then, of course, I expanded from there. So found on finance.yahoo.com, headline, More than half of Americans wouldn't be able to afford their bills and groceries if they lost their job. Now, this is just one small article in an entire universe of uh, economy bad that I'm going to scattershot at you. Again, do your own homework. Do your own additional research. But things aren't looking not so good right now, right? And we need to be ready for this one way or another. Not panic, not hoard, just be prepared. Now, the article in question was regarding a poll by Go Banking Rates, who polled 1,002 Americans regarding a few personal financial questions. And although the author of this article wants to use their responses to this poll as scientifically factual data, this is really nothing more than a personal finance perception poll. But this takes the temperature of where people believe themselves to be. So 37% of respondents said that if they were to lose their job, how they pay their bills would be their immediate concern. The interesting data point from my perspective is that those from 45 to 54 and 65 and older were the groups that were significantly more concerned. Now, I know that this is a broad generalization, but shouldn't you gain stability as you get older? Retirement savings increasing, bills and loans pay down, wages increased, and 65 and older losing their job. That's something we haven't talked about before. But no, apparently I'm completely incorrect in all that. Now, affording groceries was another of the immediate concerns, but only for 15.77% overall. Oddly enough, those over 65 years old were the least concerned about groceries, but 55 to 64 and 18 to 24 were the most concerned. The splits in who is concerned about what is really interesting. Now, the author wanted to make this uh, go down a path of uh, down with the patriarchy, you know, breaking the glass ceiling type of article, because she made it a focal point of the poll data that women were more concerned than men. Well, that may be because the women are more emotional warriors, or the men were like, meh, it'll be fine. Again, this is just a poll of how you perceive your position, not a poll of your literal, actual position. She did give some good basic tips, though, which are the same that pretty much every financial guru recommends. Save up an emergency fund. Now, she said six to nine months of expenses. Dave Ramsey says three to six months. I've heard anything from one month to 12 months. I'd say that the six-ish month figure is probably a good goal. She said to put this money in a high-yield savings account. Well, okay, I mean, that's fine if you can find one, but... The emergency fund is not there for making money. It needs to be saved and accessible only if needed, but it needs to be accessed quickly. Uh, if you can make a few bucks on it, great. If not, well, I mean, that's fine too. She says to, quote, avoid tapping into retirement funds. Um, yeah. If you lose your job, not just laid off, but you lose your job or you quit your job, something like that, you can technically cash out your retirement. 
but you'll pay about 40 to 50% of that back to the government in fees and taxes, so it's a bad move. And finally, pay off your debt. She says, high interest debt. Again, I'd be more apt to side with Dave Ramsey on this one and follow the debt snowball, paying off the debt smallest to largest, rolling the payment from the last one into the next, building your payment snowball, regardless of interest rate. But bottom line, pay off debt. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. And the concept of, can I afford the monthly payment? That's a bad way to make a purchasing decision. Trust me, this is something that I know way too much about, sadly. But again, this doesn't really give a good idea of where people are financially. Luckily, there are other polls that have been taken over the last few years. Again, on finance.yahoo.com, from December of 2019, we find out that 69% of Americans had less than $1,000 in savings. This figure was up 11% from one year earlier. And remember, this was pre-COVID. This was when the economy was absolutely blazing, might I add, thanks to Trump and capitalist economic tax principles, things like that. They quoted Bruce McClary, a spokesman for the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, quote, It's puzzling to me that if the economy is doing so well and that we're so close to full employment, the consumer confidence is up that we haven't seen the numbers move much in people's ability to save. Now, a different poll taken in January 2022, so now this is mid-COVID, said that 56% of Americans couldn't cover a $1,000 emergency expense using just their savings. Now, this was found on CNBC.com, said if faced with a $1,000 expense, 44% said they used their savings, 20% said they use a credit card, 15% said they'd pay with cash, but have to figure out how to cut other expenses. 10% said they'd try to borrow from family or friends, and 4% said they'd have to take out a loan. Bankrate did say that 44% saying they'd pull from savings was the highest percent in eight years of taking this poll. Then in June 2022 on Fool.com, that's the Motley Fool, a financial site, the headline, quote, the number of Americans able to cover a $400 emergency reaches a nine-year high. Uh, but that's only sort of. According to the Federal Reserve data, 68% of Americans could cover a $400 emergency out of savings. But then halfway down the article, we find out that data uh, that they took and that they used and that they're displaying is from November of 2021, so over a half a year earlier. And then we really start getting hit with the Biden inflation and the YouGov data coming from May of 2022, much closer to June of 2022, as it turns out, shows that number to have dropped 17% in only half a year to only 51% being able to cover $400. Of course, then they ask the all-important and quite obvious question, is $400 enough for an emergency fund? And um, no, no, it's not. And then they have an advertisement for a credit card that they recommend, which that's a good idea. And then we come to the first quarter of 2023. Inflation, despite what the Biden crack team of financial experts uh, that have been guiding this ship deftly, expertly straight into the rocks, despite what this brain trust says, inflation has been killing all of us. I don't care how much you make, how much you have saved, inflation has hit every American in some way. I know that my groceries, gas, and electric spending specifically have all gone up dramatically, and I know I'm not alone. But despite getting hit with increasing interest rates, skyrocketing inflation, threats of rent and student loan moratoriums ending January 2023 saw the largest increase in consumer spending in two years. February went up just a little bit more and then March slowed slightly. But overall, the first quarter is looking to show a surge in spending after a very slow pace in the fourth quarter of 2022. I know we have COVID and there's questions as to how all of this is affected by everything else. But the question really is, what exactly is going on here? Now, I guess I haven't tracked my spending. Is it is it that we're buying the same items, but they cost more? So we're spending more? Is that what we're doing? Or are we just spending like crazy? Because, you know, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow. We may be bankrupt or in World War Three or something. Why this disconnect between the economy and the spending? Now, my fear is that people are just naive about what's going on in the world, and I'd argue that that's probably the biggest problem here. So the question I have is, where do you stand? Have you been keeping up with what's going on? So here goes a rapid-fire set of topics of financial goings-on 
right now. Did you hear that the president of Kenya advised the investors in his country a few weeks ago to rethink investments in American dollars in a televised national speech on April 4th? Yeah, he said, quote, those of you who are holding dollars, you shortly might go into losses. So you better do what you have to do because this market will be different in a couple of weeks. What does he know? Uh, do you realize that the dollar has long been the reserve currency of the world? Pretty much anything could be bought from anything anywhere if it was done in dollars. But just recently, the end of March, I'm hoping you're aware that the presidents of Russia and China, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping, respectively, had some big summit. One of the agreements coming out of there was that they agreed to use the yuan, China's currency, as settlements between Russia and Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Now, this has been discussed and threatened in the past, but never actually acted on. The dollar has been the global trading currency, the global petrodollar, for decades. Now, Saudi Arabia has just struck a deal with China right after the Russia-China summit for Saudi Arabia to invest heavily in Chinese oil refineries. Now, that in itself isn't a huge story, but the fact that they did all this oil deal in yuan, yuan, in Chinese monies, is the big deal. Now, in the past, this would have been done in dollars, because like I said, that's the petrodollar. That's what oil trades in, but not apparently anymore. That's crumbling. Now, when the dollar ceases to be the global reserve currency, it ceases to have the value it's had to this point. When the dollar loses its value, we're basically like the Weimar Republic in Germany, or more recently, Venezuela, where wheelbarrows of cash are used to buy a few things to eat, where workers were paid up to four times a day with immediate breaks given after being paid to go buy something with that cash before it was worth less or worthless in only a few hours where the zoos in Venezuela were emptied out by those looting them looking for something, anything, to eat. Now, will this happen here? I don't know, but we're the closest we've ever been. What about back here at home? Well, we've got our own problems, which, of course, also have global implications and global impact, at least for now. For years, extending back to the Bush era, probably farther back than that, Republicans have been warning that the Social Security program is nothing but a doomed pyramid scheme, and to think any differently, you'd have to be Looney Tunes. When those taking rely on those paying in, it's a pyramid scheme, by definition. For those same years, the Democrats have just laughed and scoffed and mocked, making veiled threats, trying to sound tough. Oh, Social Security is just fine, and don't you dare touch it. In fact, President Pudding Pants, or more accurately, his Marxist masters and handlers, made that a campaign point against Trump this last election cycle, that Trump was going to just take it all away. All you seniors will die instantly. Of course, Trump said nothing of the sort. In fact, he said he wasn't going to touch the system in place, which he didn't. What has been talked about is a way to wean Americans off of the system, allowing people the option to pay into that or control their own money, but to pay out the commitments that are currently in place. Now, in 2020, the trustees said that the well would be dry by 2035, with about three quarters of the needed funds being taken in by payroll taxes. This, of course, is making a number of assumptions, but remember, it's a pyramid scheme. Of course, that was mocked. No, 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 it'll be fine. Well, now we're being told as of a few days ago that Medicare will be insolvent by 2031. Hey, that's only eight years. And Social Security will be gone by 2033, which is only 10 years. And in three years, it got two years worse. So using my ability to recognize patterns, uh, taint no way we make it to 2030. See, the problem is that the government has no money. Now, they can print dollar bills, but they make no money. They steal it from you and I, the citizens. And when taxes are high, tax revenue drops. When inflation is high, unemployment rises. When you pay people about the same for sitting around doing nothing as they'd make working a blue-collar job, the workforce that's either working or looking for work, uh, that pool goes down. Yeah, bottom line, there's only so much of other people's money. Social Security was meant to help those that lived past the average age of death, but the system was never updated correctly as the average age of death increased, and now here we are. But I'm sure it'll be fine.
Speaking of Medicare and Social Security, uh, typically those that are reliant on those systems are lower income, meaning every dollar counts even more. So that's why President Ruindrors has decided that you don't have the right to kill the environment with your incandescent light bulbs. Now, I know our super duper Republican conservative President Bush signed the thing that got rid of all of the, you know, real good usable incandescent bulbs, but there's still a lot of incandescent bulbs out there. No, 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 no. Not for much longer. Those are all going to be banned. Uh, Now, the ban is way out in the future, of course, August of this year. Uh, You're going to need to use LEDs, not incandescent and not halogen. Oh, God help you if you use halogen and not compact fluorescents. You know, CFLs, the, the highly toxic bulbs, that the government said we must use just a few years ago in order to save the environment? Yeah, uh, we're going to save a ton of money now and a ton of emissions by switching to all LEDs, even though only 15% of Americans right now use mostly incandescent or halogen bulbs, and 26% just kind of have a mishmash of whatever bulb was in the house at the time. Now, don't worry about the fact that uh, it won't do a thing for the man cause environmental problem that doesn't actually exist. And don't worry about the fact that LEDs cost, what, 10 times what incandescents do? And don't worry about the fact that they absolutely do not last as long as they claim. And don't worry about the fact that for some people, the rapid turning off and on of the LEDs causes brain issues, seizures, and headaches. Don't worry about any of that. No, just just save the planet. It's okay, though, because pretty soon we'll all have digital money. And the government can help guide us by allowing our digital wallet to pay for some things and, and not for others. Like, like, let's say you were to defy the government and not get a very needed society saving experimental gene altering chemical injection. Well, maybe your digital money won't buy gas or food or utilities. Now, as soon as you do as you're told, you know, poof, your money works again. Now, I know that's silly, and although Biden definitely signed something a year ago and multiple institutions are experimenting with a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, even though that, it's definitely not going to happen. And even when it does, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be, even though it will be exactly that. But your government has listened to you. So the CBDC, that's just a myth. They're going to do a Fed coin. That'll be completely different, only slightly exactly the same. Glenn Beck, yeah, I know that guy again, he thinks that uh, what will likely happen is that they'll make the digital dollar and then tell you that you can right now, if you act now, trade in your dollars for like one and a half times the digital dollars. Look, look at how much money you have. You're rich now. But if you wait, it'll only be a one-to-one exchange. And if you're just a procrastinator, well, well, maybe you only get three quarters of a digital dollar for every real dollar. And if you're one of those right-wing conspiracy kooks and you try to hold out, well, eventually we'll just have to take your money and we'll give you, I don't know, 50% of the value, 25%, I don't know. Yeah, this is what China is doing and and has done, what other countries are experimenting with as well. This will completely remove any value to our money. It will destroy the economy and it will put full societal control in the hands of our governmental overlords. That would be at least one of the final few nails in the coffin of this national experiment. And let me say this really quick. No, the digital dollar is not the mark of the beast. Whatever that is, whenever that happens, we won't be tricked into getting a chip and order to transact and then Satan jumps out from around the corner. Ah, gotcha. No, no, no. Those that take the mark of the beast may not be up on their biblical eschatology, but they'll know they're swearing allegiance to a world leader claiming to be God or a God or something. Now, will this technology be used for the mark? Oh, I, maybe. I'd say that as technology advances and time marches on, oddly enough, both of those go hand in hand, we're getting closer to that time and we're closing in on the exact technology that will be used. Back to our episode of Doom. Oh, hey, I think I just came up with a segment title. So sure, digital currency, okay, but if you keep your nose clean, think the right thoughts, say the right words, do the right things, if you're good boys and girls or others then your money, such as it is, will be fine. And that's the premise of the ESG scores that our 401k plan providers, our banks, our corporations are either being forced into or volunteering to participate in. Environmental Social Governance, ESG. You and I would have more of an environmental and social score, and depending on if we do the right things and follow the government-prescribed edicts, 
you know, be good little citizens, then our scores will be good and we'll be able to use our money and go places and buy groceries and just live just wonderful lives. For companies and financial organizations, they'll need to make sure they're meeting the correct diversity, equity, and inclusion or DEI mandates or their G score will plummet. And, well, we're sorry, but other companies and consumers just, they just can't use your goods and services. Not, not those of an uncaring evil company. Yeah, this is being fought against in a number of states right now, fairly successfully, but this is the direction. And if you want to know how this works, just look at China. We're seriously only a few goose steps behind them. They've got a nice little app, not the mark of the beast, and you're either a green or a red, which means you're either good or bad, respectively. And if you're good, well, you'll be able to go places and use public transport and buy food, you know, survive. But if you're bad, ah, sorry, why don't you just go ahead and walk on home and, well, just think about what you've done and also die. Of course, we'll need to do all this stuff because just look at these banks collapsing all over, right? We need some help here. Now, the reality is a lot of these banks probably should have failed decades ago. They don't have money. Any money you've put into the bank has already been loaned out and leveraged multiple times over. It's called rehypothecation. That's a fun word. The bank loans your dollar to a different bank, and they loan it to another, and they loan it to another, each one of our dollars that we've put into the bank is literally covering 5 to $10 of loans. I'm really not sure what the multiplier is right now. And I know there are supposed to be limits, but <laughs> limits, limits. Bottom line, if loans were called in, there's no actual money out there. It's all just numbers on a balance sheet. If a bank calls a loan from another bank, that bank would have to call their loan to another bank all the way down to the poor sap that took out the loan in good faith. Now he's holding the bag. Now, interesting thing about these bank collapses we just had, you know, the two banks that collapsed, Silicon Valley Bank or SVT and Signature Bank. Yeah, there were apparently three banks that collapsed. And by collapsed, I mean there were three banks that the Fed came in and took control of. Two of them were two of the biggest holders or traders in cryptocurrency, which is interesting since we know that the government through the Fed is desperately wanting to regulate or eliminate crypto since they can't manage it. And one of those banks, I believe the one that wasn't talked about, Silvergate Bank, was actually in a perfectly fine financial position and was huge in the crypto trading market. They had no issues whatsoever and told the Fed that there was no reason for them to take control, to which the Fed essentially said, we can either take control or make things very difficult for you. You know, like a mafia tactic. And my apologies to the mafia, as I don't want to compare you to a corrupt organization the likes of the government. I just don't know of another comparison that would at least give the appearance of this kind of underhanded criminal enterprise. Yeah, see, this is dirty all the way around. All joking aside, and I'm serious here, all joking aside... I think at this point, we'd be better off with the mafia running our financial institutions and the mob running our Department of Justice. Just saying. Uh, they'd definitely be the lesser of two evils. And isn't that what we shoot for uh, each election cycle now? Uh, speaking of crypto, yeah. See, that is something the government definitely wants to be rid of. Make no mistake, the digital dollar, the CBDC, or the Fed coin, these things are not crypto. These are just all managed ones and zeros, managed by the government. Crypto is completely different. Now, I own some digital currency, like Dogecoin, which I'm hoping at some point before my death, the value of my wallet will get back to what I paid. Not holding my breath, though. But none of mine is technically crypto. At least, I don't think any of it is. I really don't know, to be honest. I bought a largish amount of very cheap stuff, and, and I've watched the value plunge to the core of the earth ever since. Bitcoin is, of course, the main crypto and is a form of money that the government has literally zero control over. So they don't like that. They're doing everything they can to destroy crypto, which again, I'm sure is fine. We don't need monetary freedom, not with an omnibenevolent government in control. You see, if they can't control where you go, what you do, what you think, your purchasing power, etc., they, meaning the global overlords, which I believe includes at least some that are in direct control of our government, they don't like that. Now, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm aware that this sounds very conspiratorial, but just start looking into all of the little pieces here and there, trying to exert control over all of those aspects of life. 
There's a game app called Plague Inc. You're a virus, basically, and you're trying to take over the world. As you watch the map based on moves you make, you'll see pockets of the contagion pop up in red spots and blotches as people travel the world on planes and trains and boats and automobiles carrying the virus with them. And if you play correctly, the red virus color on the map grows and grows. They start to join together in spots and eventually it engulfs the world. Yeah, this is what the globalists are. They're a plague, a contagion. And uh, there are pockets of tests and trials going on right now, seeing what can be done. What will people tolerate? The COVID pandemic or scamdemic or plandemic, whichever area you fall into, that was the first global test at control. I believe it was the elitists at the World Economic Forum that said that the COVID thing was a very good display of what they could and couldn't get away with on a global scale. It was a test. Whether it was on purpose or not, we can debate that, but make no mistake, this was a test. Okay, so I told you I was going to overwhelm you with current events. I've got a number of links in the notes. Pick your favorite terrifying story and go do some searching on your own. Uh, there are so many things going on in the U.S. and the world right now, and none of it's good, as we generally have classified good in the past. Well, I mean, there's a lot of human classified good, don't get me wrong, but the general direction, well, those that subscribe to the mainstream interpretation of Revelation, eh, shouldn't really be surprised by this. So... Should Christians be worried about this? Should we be concerned with these things? Well, you'll get a lot of different takes on this subject. My personal view is that those that say we shouldn't worry, the Lord will provide, well, yeah, they're correct, but have they, or you, if that's your stance, ever bought clothing? Do you purchase gas for the car? Have you ever paid, have they ever paid money to obtain food products? Have they traded their time and labor for money? Yeah, let's not pick and choose what we believe the Lord will provide and what he won't, which is exactly what the almost militant anti-preppers do. It drives me crazy, the hypocrisy, or at best, the inconsistency. And then the biblical proof texts that they use, well, those are taken wildly out of context. Now, on the other end of the Bear Grylls prepper versus Jesus take the wheel spectrum, I'm not convinced that we should be digging our fallout shelter and hoarding enough supplies to survive for the next few decades underground either. Although, if I was going to lean one direction, it would be towards those crazy preppers for sure. Again, there are some biblical references that I think taken in context say that we should ensure that we can provide for our family, for our Christian brothers and sisters, and for others if we can. I don't think there are any biblical references that would tell us to be full-blown preppers, however. Now, my personal philosophy, and you'll have to decide for yourself what you'll do for you and your family, have some emergency cash on hand, like literal physical money, not checks or cards, dollar bills that you can grab in a matter of moments, possibly even some precious metals like gold or more easily used silver, and maybe some things you can barter with, whether that's a skill or some sort of consumer good. I think that you should be able to defend yourself. Now, I recommend guns. Now, I know they're evil and they go on autonomous killing sprees all the time, but shockingly, my guns, before they were all tragically lost in the incident, have never moved from where I placed them, at least not on their own. I think you should have some form of food and water in case the supply was cut, even temporarily. Or let's say the monetary system failed and don't forget about something to heat water and food up with. Things like survival food or canned goods, a stockpile of bottled water of some sort, or water purifying equipment. Those would be good. You also want to think about heating or cooling for people, for you, especially heat. What would you do if your source of heat in the winter was gone? Have some extra gas. Whether you have a generator or you need gas to get out of town, have a source of extra gas. You don't even have to have cans of gas laying around if you can siphon it out of a different vehicle or a lawnmower or something to get you enough gas to get you where you're trying to go. Have a plan of what you'd grab and which direction you'd go if you needed to. The experts in disasters say that if help doesn't show up in three days, that's when chaos starts. Grocery stores all run on about a three-day supply of goods, and after that, it's simply a matter of whatever you can find on the shelf. And fake meat, that display case never goes unstocked. That's, that'll never be touched. Nobody's going for that stuff. 
Uh, due to the just-in-time nature of our supply chain, you may want to stock up on regular supplies, over-the-counter meds, cleaning supplies, and general food and drinks. I don't think we should go crazy and hoard, but I've always, for instance, kept a big pack of toilet paper that I've broken into, Charmin Ultra Strong, the only kind you should buy and use, and a backup big pack. Now, when COVID hit and everyone planned on pooping a whole lot, apparently, I was fine. And because I keep up with what's going on, I knew that the old TP run was going to hit West Virginia within a day or two. So I bought one more large pack that night after work, and I was good. A week or so later, I was in Kroger, and a lady was talking to a friend, saying that she couldn't find toilet paper anywhere, and she was down to her last roll. There was a hint of panic in her voice, and a look of worry on her face, and not that I was looking but I believe a bit of clenching of the cheeks was going on, and rightfully so. Don't be that person. Have a realistic stockpile of basic stuff set back just in case. I've told my kid that we're currently working on a 2 plus 1 system for toiletries. One in use, two sitting back on the shelf. If the supply chain goes down, we're at least good for a little while. And keep in mind, if the power goes out, gas stations can't pump gas, grocery stores won't be open, Walmarts won't be open, trucks won't be running, credit card machines and ATMs don't work, and I don't think most of us want to be caught up in looting. And what about medicines? Do you have extras of the meds you need, like prescription meds? There are an increasing number of doctors now that will work with you, look at your history, and prescribe you certain medications, like antibiotics for instance, for you to just keep on hand in case the supply runs short. It's not necessarily cheap, and you may or may not be able to run it through insurance or put it on your HSA card, but weigh the pros and cons. At least give it thought. And in case you don't know, most of our meds are made in China, so that supply is as stable as our relationship with China. And some meds need to be refrigerated. What will you do there? A fun fact, it's estimated that between 65 and 90% of Americans would be dead inside of a year if an electromagnetic pulse, more commonly abbreviated EMP, would happen to detonate over the country. That's simply a dirty nuclear bomb that explodes in the atmosphere and rains down radioactive particles, frying all unshielded electrical and electronic components, which is most of them, including our electrical grid. And the deaths wouldn't be from radiation sickness or poisoning. We wouldn't be watching Sarah Connor be blown to bits hanging onto the chain link fence of the playground, something like that. It would be prisons being wide open with no electricity or circuitry to keep them locked. Failed supply chains, food processing dead in the water, no antipsychotic meds for people that need them, no life-sustaining medications for people that need them. Hospitals would be out of power once the generators ran out of fuel, and the list goes on. And to throw another little fun fact out there for you, our little Chinese weather balloon that definitely wasn't a spy balloon that absolutely was a spy balloon doing figure eights over our military installations, it was flying at the precise height for the most effective dirty bomb to hit us with an EMP. Just saying. Now all that said, as Christians, we aren't to panic. Maybe I should have led with that rather than terrifying y'all first. Uh, we need to prepare for hard times. That's perfectly fine. It will absolutely help alleviate small areas of stress, allow us to focus better, but we aren't to put our hope in stuff, in supplies, in our preparedness, in our escape plan, in our hunker bunker. Our hope is in God. And if we die, gain. Your level of preparedness is up to you, and I think it likely changes with different stages of life. For instance, right now, although my teen child generally tolerates me on the best of days, my mindset has been and will be for some years to come still, I need to protect her. So a lot of what I do, a lot of how I prepare, a lot of money that I hope will be flushed down the toilet a number of years in the future, because if it is, it means I didn't have to use the supplies, meaning we're still doing okay. Well, that preparing is just to do that, protect my kid. But along with that, I know, and I've tried to ensure she knows that our hope is in the Lord. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. There isn't a single atom, a single radioactive particle that acts on its own volition. Now, how God is absolutely in control and how we still have free will and how that works together at the same time is a mystery only possible with an omnipotent God. But we can rest in the fact that God does, in fact, have the whole world in his hands. So how should we prepare? Well, first thing is to put all your eggs in God's basket. Place your total reliance of each and every second, every breath, every beat of the heart on Him. Then I'd suggest you do what I do. Research. 
Now, I don't think Christians are called to be naive. I don't think we're called to just ignore the world that we're living in. We can be very informed of the world while in the world, but not be like the world. We need to know what's going on. When the poopy caca hits the fan, there will be a lot of people looking for answers. You need to know what's going on in the physical world, and you need to be a student of the Bible and the spiritual realm so that you can help them make real sense of what's happening. Now, listen to those that are losing their minds. That's part of my recommendation. The people that are running around screaming that the sky is currently falling. And then listen to your pastor or other pastors or other faith-based sources. You know, those that can ground you and talk you back off of the ledge. Inform yourself of what's going on in this world while tempering it heavily with the power and sovereignty of God. Then evaluate what you need, what you can and can't do, what you're willing to do. Then pray about it. Read anything you can find in the Bible about it. Talk to trusted sources about it. Read, watch, and listen to trusted sources, and then make a decision and do it. Whatever it is that you do was exactly the right thing for you to do and was exactly what you were supposed to do. Now, I'd love to say I thought of that decision-making advice myself, but I got that from Todd Friel in one of his books. It was Judge Not or Reset for Parents, or maybe it was Stressed Out. I really can't remember anymore. But that was some of the best decision-making advice I've ever heard. Rather than grind your brain into inaction before you're waiting for your fleece to be wet or dry, whichever part of the testing cycle you're on, trust the sovereignty of God. The Bible does not say that God helps those that help themselves, despite what a large percentage of Christians think, but I think there is some wisdom in that saying. I don't know God's plan for my drive to work in the morning, but I know that I should probably twist that steering thingy and press my feet against the go and don't go no mo pedals. I'll do my best to do all of this while being awake, and then the rest is up to God. So from a practical human standpoint, I'd suggest you get ready. Things are coming. A lot of things. Scary things. Make sure you're as prepared as you can be and as you want to be and as you feel you should be prayerfully making those decisions. As for the spiritual aspect, well, if you're in Christ, if you're saved, that's where you need to be. If you're not, well, to be honest, I don't know how you're making it through all this. Without a belief in God, I don't know how I could have made it through everything that's happened in the last few years without that rock-solid faith in the very real existence of a very real sovereign God and in his inerrant word to us in the Bible. As Christians, remember this per 1 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I say, Prepare to the level you're led to prepare, but know that Jesus has already given us everything we need through his sacrifice. There is nothing as precious, as priceless as that, and that has been granted to us, should we believe, at no cost to us, at least not through money or works or anything we can do. Now, after that, there is a cost. Jesus said that the world will hate us because it hated him. He said that we will have trials in this life, but for those that are saved— that cost is nothing when compared to what Christ paid, and it's not a burden, as we want to do all we can for he who gave all for us. Now it's our job to take that message into the world, as well as learn, grow, and change personally. And then, when the trials come, no matter what level of prepper we've attained, no matter what happens, our salvation can never be taken from us. When our end, or the end, does come, we'll be with God forever, which will instantly make the sum of our existence on this planet, in our hardships, dealing with all of the current and impending doom, trivial. Unless you've been living under a rock the last few weeks, you know that we had a horrible shooting in Nashville, another, possibly two shootings avoided, one in Colorado, one in Ohio, and another mass shooting in Louisville just today, the day I'm recording. 
I'm not going to expound on these incidents except to say that liberalism is a mental disorder. The Nashville shooting was performed by a trans man, a woman pretending to be a man. The near Colorado shooting was being plotted by a trans woman. And the shooting today in Louisville was a far left straight male. Now, why do I bring these up when we're supposed to be talking about the 45 communist goals for America as read into the congressional record by a Democrat in 1963? Well, because this is the ideology that destroys people, literally. I'm not saying that those on the right are all mentally stable, angelic saints. <laughs> that's No, that's not right. But, but when your ideology and your rhetoric flies in the face of not only common sense and logic, but also inherent truths that God has written on our hearts, I believe the mind eventually loses all touch with reality, all grounding. The, the conscience is seared, to use a biblical term, and some will perpetrate heinous acts like these. I also believe that the not only God-denying, but God-blaspheming ideology of the left invites demonic torment and possession. Man was only meant to live with one spirit indwelling him, the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is absent, as would be the case for nearly all of those with leftist proclivities, and I feel very comfortable claiming that, especially these days, the indwelling by another spiritual being is possible. When you read the Bible and see the results of demonic possession, you either see severe illness and disability or you have insanity. Humans are not compatible with demonic possession. This is what I believe we see with historical figures like Muhammad, Hitler, Stalin, King Saul, and others. We see demonic torment, if not possession, to the point that the incompatibility of the two burns out the mind. It burns out the, the conscience and, and various levels of rabid, maniacal, violent insanity set in. Now, although an imperfect segue, I admit that, this is what we see with communism. This is a philosophy of no God but the state, no prophet but the leader. Communism is not a logical system because it denies and defies the creator and owner and ruler of this world. Even if it was a system to try you think that when they started starving their own population to death, they change course. But, but this is when communism doubles down. It's literally controlled insanity when you step back and look at the managed, methodical destruction that communism has wrought. And when digging into these 45 communist goals for America, no, I'm not going to do the thing again, you see a systematic removal of rights and freedoms, a removal of religious belief, and a steady implementation of what can only be called demonic-influenced insanity. But why don't shootings like this happen in places like Russia or China or Cuba? Well, because, one, they're not going to tell us when they do, and why should they? And two, the iron fist of communism will come down on anyone even rumored to be thinking about this. In a system of freedom, with God as the base, as our founders intended, at least to a large degree, we see sanity, logic, and we see God taught to the people and expected to be taught and understood by everyone. In a land of no freedom and no God, we see absolute tyrannical control, guilty until proven innocent, and brutal authoritarian control of everyone and everything. In both systems, we see the vices like drugs and promiscuity and the like, and we see the criminal aspects at a lesser rate because either they don't want to do these things or they don't want to get caught doing or thinking about these things. But when we get into the mushy middle, America moving toward communism with freedom, but the caging of God, for lack of a better phrase, and Russia, especially in the 90s, moving toward more freedom, but with no God and the loosening of restrictions, we see what happens. Man goes wild. Focusing on the United States, once communism can destroy a national belief in God, which will definitely lead to what we're seeing happening today— then the leaders can swoop in with the authoritarian control of a quasi-communist system, and then the transformation is basically complete. So, all that said, we need to venture on in our look at these goals, don't we? As of our last episode, we had covered 32 goals for America, with the equivalent of 22 of those goals realized for a success rate of just under 70%. 
More importantly, even if the Reds didn't score one more goal, which isn't likely, they have enough wins to put them right at the 50% success rate right now, meaning the U.S. is, at best, 50% communist right now. And personally, I believe that. We are definitely not who we started as, as a country. We are not who we were designed to be by our founders. And we are not a nation that can claim to be Christian anymore, in my opinion. We are really more of what Obama said. We're not only a Christian nation, we're basically an all-of-the-above nation at this point. So let's see what the old commies had for us next. Goal number 33. Eliminate all laws or procedures which interfere with the operation of the communist apparatus. Okay, this one appears to be very vague. I mean... The communist apparatus, right? Apparatus is what? Like a machine of some sort, right? That's how I'd interpret it. So are they saying that they want the commie bus to, as Mr. Limp Biscuit hauntingly intoned in his classic aria entitled Roland, keep rolling, 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 what? Keep rolling, 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 come on. Keep rolling, 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 yeah. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling without any interference from us or anyone else. I mean, I think that's what this is saying. That's what it sounds like, right? But eh, let's dig into this just a bit to find out. So it's funny, for as much information as is out there on the internet, I, I can't find, after doing a moderate amount of searching in various ways, a definitive answer on what this is. I think I figured it out finally, but I'm, let's say... 80, 85% sure I'm right, leaving the remaining percentage that is incalculable, if you ask any child that's been taught common core math, that I'm unsure. I think the problem is that my vocabulary is apparently that of an uncultured swine. What makes me think that this isn't just the machinery of the communist system is that the goal is eliminating law or procedures. Now, procedures imply someone having to follow said procedures, which a machine doesn't do. It just sits there and kind of machineates. So what I found, thank you, Wikipedia, is that the communist apparatus, also known as the apparatchik or the nomenclatura, was a, quote, category of people within the Soviet Union and other Eastern Bloc countries who held various key administrative positions in the bureaucracy, running all spheres of those countries' activity, government, industry, agriculture, education, etc., whose positions were granted only with approval by the Communist Party of each country or region. These were essentially all members of the Communist Party and comprised an elite group of power brokers that controlled everything in the public or private sector. Now, you may recognize the word nomenclatura, right, as sounding very much like nomenclature, which is simply a system of naming. Well, that's what this Russian term kind of means. These elites were tasked with appointing individuals, naming people to keep positions throughout the bureaucracy. Uh, there were generally a list of people that were appointed to key positions and a list of those that could be appointed to those positions should it come open. Of course, as one would expect, this created a system of favors and favoritism, loyalties, etc. And this system functioned up and down the chain of command as they all tried to cover and prop up each other, I'd imagine, until one felt uh, powerful enough to stab another in the back. That's not a communist thing. That's a human thing. Now, Lenin first started the system wanting the appointments to be reliable, loyal, qualified, and able to actually do what they're being appointed to do. Stalin was one that made appointments for at least a time, and he built the system into more of a loyalty system, distributing his most loyal appointments all around the bureaucracy. Now, without going much farther into this, I don't know what laws or procedures this goal was talking about, but I would assume that the next goal would have something to do with it, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But the bottom line, if these laws and procedures interfered with this system, especially with the fall of the Soviet Union, you would think this system should have lost steam and then died out. I would think that. But what we find today is that apparently per a 2022 estimate, about 60% of the elites in the Vladimir Putin reign uh, have nomenclatura backgrounds. So knowing that this system still somewhat exists and the ideology of this system is still alive and well, 
I'm going to just take a logical guesstimate on this goal and say that they accomplished half of it. If you know differently, or if you know more about this or anything about this at all, hey, I please let me know. That said, with my wild guess, that would put them at 22.5 out of 33 goals. And moving on to the next goal quickly, goal 34, eliminate the House Committee on Un-American Activities. So, the House Committee on Un-American Activities, or if you slide committee to the end of that name rather than throw it in the middle, you get the abbreviation HUAC, was likely a real pain in the red rump of the communists. It was made up of a committee of U.S. House of Representative members established in 1938 trying to ferret out communist and fascist organizations that popped up and started enacting their influence during the Great Depression. Kind of easy to see how communism would become more popular during the Depression as the promise of the benevolent government providing for your needs when you have great needs. Yeah, I mean, that's that's perfect, right? Give me some of that. Even at the beginning of the committee, it drew strong criticism from those on the left. (laughs) Shocker. They claimed that it was just a partisan tool to destroy FDR's New Deal programs, which, to be honest, it should have been and should have done, as many of those programs, if not most or even all, were communists at their core. That wasn't the goal, however, or at least that was never admitted to be the goal. The committee ramped up activity as World War II got underway. Even though we were technically allies with Russia, the reality is that that was more of a uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of a situation there. We didn't trust those commies, as well we shouldn't have, and still shouldn't today, to be honest. After World War II and through the first half of the Cold War era, the committee went a little crazy, or at least that's the accepted narrative today. By the late 50s and early 60s, the time that this list came out and came to light, they were already starting to lose their influence. In 1969, they changed their name to the Committee on Internal Security, and then they kind of died off. It was officially discontinued in 1975. So what did they do? Well, as stated, they were tasked with trying to root out communism and fascism from the country. This sounds like a noble goal, and no doubt it was at least intended to be, but it quickly turned into a witch hunt, where the committee liberally applied their powers to subpoena pretty much anyone and everyone, and then intimidate those they questioned into giving them more names so they could continue to cast their net wider and wider. The committee had the audacity to claim early on that communism had been snuck into government and schools and entertainment and many other American aspects. (laughs) Uh, Now, I know that's crazy. That's what ultimately killed off this committee. They grossly overstepped any reasonable boundaries, accusing everyone of being communists, destroying lives of those they interrogated, trying to take down Hollywood, etc. But the reality, you know, using hindsight, is that uh, they weren't wrong. It may be wrong in their tactics, maybe not as tactful as they should have been, but they weren't wrong. The communists were infiltrating this country and trying to get into every sphere of American life and doing so largely successfully. We can look at the New Deal programs at Hollywood, at public schools, politicians, our economic system, our welfare system, the medical system, and every other aspect of life, and we can see the ideology of communism has woven its tentacles all throughout the systems that gave the freedom to try things but also the wisdom to fall back on to know that these things aren't right and can't work in a country based on freedom and liberty. Eh, But never mind any of that. So the question then as to if the communists eliminated the House Committee on Un-American Activities is, do we give them credit for this? As I stated, by the time they made this list of goals, the committee was already tapering off. It had been going for about 20 years, and besides being a nuisance and destroying the lives of some individuals, they really didn't do much. But my inclination is to give them a full point on this one for a few reasons. First, remember, for the most part, it doesn't really matter if the communists were the direct cause of the realization of the goal or if a communist goal was realized outside of their direct influence. If the goal is accomplished, the goal is accomplished. Second, even though the goals were listed in the late 50s, and it was really about a decade before the goal was essentially realized, the goal was nonetheless realized. But I think my biggest argument, the reason that I'm going to award them a full point on this one is because third, the committee has never come back again. 
There is absolutely no doubt in anyone's mind today that we have communists all over in our government, that we have a Communist Party USA, that communism influences to varying degrees pretty much all aspects of life, and that our welfare system is a socialist, essentially communist system. Despite all of that, we've never had another committee formed with a stated purpose being to eliminate communism from our society. This committee was so disparaged and sullied that nobody since has dared to suggest it again. That, to me, is the fulfillment of goal number 34, to eliminate the committee. And it has been eliminated, apparently with extreme prejudice. So, with that, our scoring rings in at 23.5 out of 34, or just over 69%, which is essentially where we came in at last episode. So, I mean, the bright side of the half-full glass tells us that we haven't lost any ground. And no, we're not going to flip that around and say that the opposite of that means something not good. We're just going to keep looking at that half-full glass of bright fluid, probably probably some good stiff Russian vodka, and we're just going to be happy. And if we drain down enough half-glasses of shiny vodka, we'll be very happy and, and eventually dead. But as we all know, better dead than red, right? And uh, incidentally, thank you to WK from NOS on YouTube for his state anthem of the Soviet Union rock cover. Uh, check him out, link in the notes. He plays all four parts on this one, one of which is on an AK-47 styled electric guitar. Fabulous. Bye for now. Well, we've reached the end of another episode of the Logical Christian Podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, review, share, and all that podcasty stuff. Contact information can be found in the show notes if you'd like to reach out to me. Lawrence J. Peter said, Against logic, there is no armor like ignorance. Jesus told us that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So stay in the word, stay logical, stay faithful, and until next time, God bless.